Episode 11. Of Pop. The birth of the on-purpose teenager. Who's on Courtney's friends list? Would you want to be a teenager in 2017? And a special guest appearance by Cersei Link. Welcome to Pop, your pop culture podcast. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today. And today I'm also joined by the wonderful Courtney Cronendold. How are you today, Courtney? I'm doing very well, Ken. How about yourself there? I'm wonderful, and it's so good to hear your voice again. Today on Pop, we are going to be talking about the birth of the on-purpose teenager. And it's going to be a real heavy discussion on how teenagers were kind of created, how it became something because of marketing. Oh, I thought you meant how teenagers are born, like when a man loves a woman. And babies and, uh, are made. <clears throat> yes, I was like 10. <laughs> no, not, know this. not not quite like that, but talk about how, you know, because once upon a time there was literature where you'd have, and the boy went on a journey, and then he <laughs> became a man. Oh, yeah. But there's a lot that happens between boy and man, or girl and woman right yes there's a lot that happens to a person and it wasn't an, until we got to a certain age where being a teenager became something that people became aware of it became a thing that marketers could kind of zoom in on including along that things like uh how scary it is to be a teen because you know think about it would you be a teen now today i mean there's a lot of times i'll say like no. boy if i only knew what i knew then i could take over the world yeah i might no, have been I able would to not want to be a teenager again although i was a very good kid you were yes i was i got good grades and i had nice friends and i was president of my school and I was just a good kid. I didn't go to parties. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I wasn't promiscuous. Like, I had the same boyfriend all through co- all through high school from, like, sophomore to my senior year. Like, I was a nice girl. I also <laughs> had that same boyfriend. And then Jewish I got to college and I had freedom for the first time. And, boy, did I abuse that. <laughs> really? So you, oh, so, my God. So that's when you got lost down. This is what yeah. led you on your path to debauchery. It did. Well, I had no, I was, I had curfews and I had pretty strict upbringing. So I, when I got to college and I had that freedom to go to bed when I wanted, get up when I Mm -hmm. wanted, eat what I wanted, go where I wanted. Oh my God. I did not know how to handle that. You also got to star in a direct to home video release of Girls Gone Wild 12. So look for Courtney in that. No, you were never in Girls Gone Wild. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. The truth comes out. No, I never did anything like that. And even in college, I didn't go on spring break or I never did any of that. I'm talking wild for me in college was I went to a party and came home at three in the morning and I drank wine coolers. Like I even then I was still, you know, pretty good kid. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't go go crazy, but I had friends that did. Were you a woo girl? What's a woo? No. Like woo. Yeah, those are the girls that tiny little bit of liquor. No. Woo! No, I, I've always had male friends, more male friends than female friends. Mm-hmm. So I was always like, you know, hanging out with the dudes, talking about music, listening to music or playing cards, doing that kind of stuff. I was never like with the girls, like, you know, dressing up slutty on Halloween and 
you know, getting crazy. No, never. Being a woo girl. Yeah, no. I was always pretty, like, mellow. I was actually kind of cool, I think, in college. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to that. I think I was kind of cool. Well, I'm going to try and guess what you were like as a teenager, okay? I'm going to say huge into the monkeys, squeeze, and crowded house. And I imagine a lot of hair things. Like, you wore a lot of stuff in your hair. Am I right? You didn't no, wear like I, I was very and... plain. I didn't wear makeup. I used Noxzema, and I had straight hair. I didn't. I never. I never did that. I never did the big hair and the lots of makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, never. I was very just average. Just all right. Since I guessed what you were like as a teen, guess what I was like as a teen. I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Okay, for you as a teen, you were like you were. I feel like I mean I just picture you as like part of like you know there's like. The really popular people, and mm-hmm. then there's like that group underneath. Mm-hmm. That's like that's what I was. That's what I see you as. You guys were like the cool rocker dudes. Well, you're very close. You're very with close. the jean jackets and talk, you know, and the jean, the the, the Canadian tuxedos, if you will. <laughs> the Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> the jean jackets with jeans. There you Blue go. Blue jean committee. Well, it really we were the. It was weird. The the group that I hung out with, we were closer to nerds and rockers and art freaks than anything, right? Uh And we kind of, I like fit into every group in the sense that I was adaptable. Like I had friends that were the jocks. And I had the art room people and so on and so forth. The yes, radio I was club like that too. Like I had that. like theater yeah. friends and then I had my friends from the swim team and then I had my student council friends and then I was friends with like the two kids that worked in the student store and they were friends with my sister. Yeah, I had friends that sort of spread out too. I was like the teen John Belushi. Okay. So there you go. But I was also the sensitive artist and musician kind of guy. So Were you sent Mr. Sensitive Ponytail Man? No. <laughs> no ponytails. I, I, I tried never to have a ponytail. What I th- went to high school with Monica Lewinsky and like I was really good friends with her. Have I told you this? No, you never told me that. I didn't? Oh, yeah. And when this whole thing, like, happened, I was in, like, the Inquirer and People magazine because I was, there was pictures of, pictures of us together. Um, Seriously? Yes. Yes. We went to the prom together. I slept over at, not her house, this girl Crystal's house, actually. And she used to be married to the bass player or someone in the band Everclear. She married oh someone in the band Everclear. I don't think they're together anymore, but... So her family was like super, super rich and lived in Bel Air and they had this huge mansion house. And my high school boyfriend broke up with me for a girl that would do it because Hot. he was getting pressure from his friends. Right. And so he broke up with me at the prom. He like was like, he just like left me at the after party. So I went with Monica and her date and my friend Crystal and her date. And then we all went back to Crystal's house and we had a sleepover that night. I used to hang out with her a lot. She was really smart. She was really fun and funny. And the last time I saw her was we were sophomores in college and we went out for dinner at this place in Beverly Hills near where she lives. And um, she said she was moving to Washington and that was the last time I talked to her. Wow. Uh-huh. So but we were really good friends. Her. I was I'm... in her book. Really? Her high school prom date was just a friend of hers. And I ended up dating him that summer totally on the rebound from my boyfriend dumping me at the prom but 
he was a really nice guy. His name was Greg, and Monica and I used to always call each other. <laughs> he kind of talked like this. So Monica and I would always call each other and go, hey, it's Greg. <laughs> Just make fun of this poor guy. I'm going to confess something to you right now. Yeah. I've always had a crush on her. Uh, good good call. She's She was so, she's very beautiful. She was so cool and really smart. We used to compete for grades. We used to like read each other's essays and like look at them and like try and like kind of get the better grade in class. And she was way, she was better at essays than I was. I know she wrote a book about all that, but I think she should still write books because I remember she was a really good writer. Wow. Well, yeah. you got to see if she can get me an 8x10 signed glossy. Um, sure. I, I haven't talked to her in like 20 I would, years. I, but I honestly would treasure it forever. Yeah, she was a really nice person. And like that was one of the things that like was left out of all that awful stuff about her and, you know, in the media and everything. Mm-hmm. And and I felt so bad for her when all that happened because she was so mortified but she was just really smart, really funny. Like, we used to laugh so hard and crack up all the time. We had a million inside jokes that I still, like, use to this day. Like, some of the things I still say to this day. Mm-hmm. Like, if we saw a cute guy, we'd say he's purple. That was code. Yep. And then we'd be like, oh, my God, he's so purpley. <laughs> I don't know. What else? That's a trip. Yeah. We used to have a lot of inside jokes, but she was... She was really, I mean, I'm sure she still is. That's why she's got, she, that's why she came out ahead of this, you know, like she beat it. She survived it, right? She, yeah, she survived it and she's doing really well now and I'm happy for her because she deserves to have a nice life. Uh Did you ever get the idea that, that we're like at the center of the universe? No. Like all this stuff that comes through our lives, like. You know what I'm saying? It's it's weird, like, all the people that you know and all the people that I know. and Oh, that's true. It is weird. Yeah. It's kind of groovy. It is groovy. It's it's pretty groovy. Sorry, I went off on that tangent, but... No, no. Yeah. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the scariest thing now that's different from you being a teen then to now? Like, what, what would scare the hell out of you? Oh, as... social media. Social really? media. If I had a phone and access to YouTube, oh my God, I... I would have moved to a different country and faked my own death. I can't imagine the amount of embarrassing things that I would have put on the internet to live forever. Yeah. I'm so glad there's no social media. Yeah. I, I'm also, I was also really sensitive and I never picked on anyone and I was never mean to anyone. And if that were to have happened to me like online, I don't think I would have handled it very well. And I certainly wouldn't have done it to anyone else, you know, but I think, I think being a teenager now is really tough. I'm really glad that social media was not around when I was a teenager. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. For all the benefits of it, it just makes the world an ultra scary place. I mean, we had the luxury of going home and disconnecting, right? Yep. Like we had the luxury of you came home and your mom would say, how was school? It was fine, mom. And you go slam the door and go into your room and you could get lost in that room. Oh, I got lost in my room. It's funny. My room was like a, a, a secret world. Yeah. Do you know how many times I played guitar for fake concerts in that room on a tennis racket? I we mean, all did, man. Yeah. Seriously, that we all did. Straight up. Mm-hmm. So... That's where lip syncing was born. Absolutely. In, in teenagers the of, of, of the 70s and 80s. And a broom. <laughs> in their bedroom mirrors. <laughs> yep. A broom, a hairbrush, tennis racket. Yep. Started a million bands. 
<laughs> Later on in this episode, we will be joined by Dr. Roseanne Welsh, and we will talk being a teenager and how we got to the point where teenagers actually developed in our society. But first, let's welcome Cersei Link and Christian Nesmith to the pop stage. You can check them out and get their new album, Enchanted Objects and Ordinary Things. But today, they're doing a classic song, Fleetwood Mac's Landslide. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the pop stage, Cersei Link and Christian Nesmith. This song request is for Colleen. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Cersei and Christian. Cersei Link, ladies and gentlemen. 
Go to CerseLink.com to pick up more of their music and to check them out. Subscribe to their channel on YouTube. You can also go to CerseLink.BandCamp.com for all of your Cersei Link and Christian Nesmith needs. Check them out. We love them here at Pop. And now here's something we think you should really check out. It's a book by Ann Moses, the former editor of Tiger Beat. She was there when all of the Swingin' 60s stuff went down. The name of the book is Meow, My Groovy Life. Check out this ad, and it'll tell you how you can get an autographed copy. Thanks, Ann. Our next judge is an editor of a magazine, and she's probably one of the prettiest editors that you'll ever meet. From Tiger Beat Magazine, Miss Ann Moses. In 1966, teenage girls all over the U.S. wanted to be Ann Moses. Why? She worked for Tiger Beat magazine, one of the largest teen heartthrob publications in the world. Every month, she took young fans where they wanted to be, right next to their favorite musician or actor. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, Tiger Beat was the source for teens, both girls and boys, to read about their favorite musicians and actors. And Ann Moses was in the center of it all. For years, I told their stories. Now I'm telling mine. From touring with Paul Revere and the Raiders to surviving Mike Nesmith of the Monkees. I went on many adventures, and with every article, I took you, the readers, along for the ride. You get to go behind the scenes and see what a groovy time it was. If you were there with Anne from the beginning, this book is her way of saying thank you. You can get Anne Moses' book, Meow, My Groovy Life with Tiger Beats Teen Idols. On Amazon or wherever fine books are sold, you can get the book autographed at annmoses.com for a limited time only. Find her on facebook.com forward slash annmoses. Groovy, man. That's, that's groovy. That's gear. Some people say it's the best time of your life. Those who are going through it, however, know a different story. Now in a segment I'd like to call Birth of the On-Purpose Teenager, I'd like to welcome a great friend of the show, the wonderful Dr. Roseanne Welsh. Hey Ken, it's great to be on the show. Dr. Welsh, Roseanne, please please let folks know a little bit about you. Uh, I am Dr. Roseanne Welsh. I began my career as a television writer. I worked on Beverly Hills 90210, which gave me a tiny bit of expertise on teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, but then recently I've written a book on the monkeys called Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. And of course now I teach teenagers in their freshman year of college. So I guess all those things make me an expert. I guess as well as the fact that I have a 19-year-old. <laughs> and you were once a teenager, as was I once upon a time. Well, isn't that true? Yeah, that's life in the rearview mirror. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I still feel like a teenager, right? I think I read somewhere that everyone has their perfect age. And, you know, you see children in elementary school who are sometimes already 75 years old. Mm -hmm. And other people, you know, have never grown out of being a teenager. I think I pegged myself at 22 for life, but we'll see if that's true when I'm 72. I, I have no idea what my, I, I mean, if we're going to go by, by maturity level, as I've, as you just witnessed, I'm probably 12. So <laughs> <laughs> so today on the show, I kind of want to do an exploration 
on where teenagers came from because if you go back and look at any popular books once upon a time you'll hear about like stories about how someone starts out the journey as a child and then at the end of it they're a man there's that sort of transformative kind of thing that happens and it seems like even if you go back as far as the bible like for example there's the verse and i'm paraphrasing where it says i thought as a child but now i see things as a man once i was a child but now i'm a man and it seemed like there was always this thing where we have boys and girls and men and women and it seemed like there was no such thing as a teenager until what the 20th century until the 20th century. Really, the term ended up being coined around 1941, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can pretty much credit advertisers as the reason why a new demographic was created. Wow. And that's in the pre-World War II, but then it really explodes post-World War II, and it's the 50s. When we think of teenagers, we think the ideal is those 50s teenagers we saw in the movies or in the early TV shows like Patty Duke mm-hmm. and Gidget and, of course, the monkeys. Right. But it goes back further than that. Couldn't it also be tied into with the invention of the automobile? Well, yes, it's very interesting. What crashed there, bad pun, automobile crash. (laughs) Uh, What crashed there was we still had child labor was still acceptable in this country. So if you were a poor child, you worked in factories or on farms in your childhood from the age of six through 13, 14, 15, there wasn't compulsory education. Uh Um, We have to get to a point where we end child labor, which I used to say, I used to hope that we had done because we wanted to be nicer to children. But in fact, we don't end child labor until about the middle of the Depression when we need to lower the unemployment rate. Uh So they make child labor illegal so that there are more jobs open for grown men. Wow, I never thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes me feel kind of sad, but at least we ended child labor. Whether the reasons were correct or not, we did. And once that was done, we created compulsory education laws. And then when we get post-World War II, when we have all the GI Bill guys buying houses in the newly created suburbs, that's where high school culture begins, where students from several different suburbs will come together in a high school and create what we think of when we think of as teenagers. Because when you think about it, prior to that, let's say you worked on the farm, Mm -hmm. you you went to school, then you had to get home and do the rest of the chores and do the work with the family. So exactly. So and on the farm, if you were fourteen, you were of marriageable age. mm -hmm. Girls were marriageable once they could have children. Right. So there's no like we're gonna play for a few years and go to prom. There's I work for my dad on the farm or with my mom in the house if I'm the girl. I bake bread. I often tell students, you think that women sat at home and ate bonbons. But being a woman in a farm back in the day meant you had to feed everybody three meals a day from scratch. Uh So if you want to have chicken, you have to raise the chicken, feed the chicken, kill the chicken, pluck the chicken, cut the chicken up, and cook the chicken. That's right. And, you know, I've been called a chicken plucker before, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and most kids today probably don't even know what that means. No, they they just get the uh, the, the platter. It's really weird every once in a while. I will cook chicken tenders here, and the kids will say, well, I'm, I'm sick of those. And then we go out to eat, and they order chicken tenders. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand, but that's, that's life, yeah. right? 
But so, so really, I mean, literally, if you grew up on a farm, and even in the tenements in New York when you were a poor kid, the turn of the century, you're working in a factory. And when you get to be 14 or 15, you're going to get married, and you're going to have children, and you're going to continue working in the factory or on the farm. And there is no period in your life when you're the carefree, let me learn who I am, let me contemplate my future, let me have a crush on the cute boy kind of time. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, of course, very correct. It's post-World War II when there's enough leisure time and leisure money for teenagers to have cars, and therefore cars are a huge portion of teenage culture. So you mentioned that advertisers helped coin the term. How did that come about? Well, if you think about it, it's, it's um, easier for modern-day teenagers to realize that I'm not making this up when I lecture about this, when they realize that in their own lifetimes, advertisers invented tweeners, mm-hmm. right, the 9 to 12. Right. And that was because channels like the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon saw a market where they weren't ready. They were done watching baby shows, but they weren't ready for adult shows. Right. So iCarly and Hannah Montana and Ned's Declassified, those kinds of shows came up, and they were particularly um, focused on that demographic of tweeners because a teenager won't watch anyone a year or two younger than they are. But right. a 13-year-old will watch a couple of years above themselves. Mm-hmm. That's how I prove that I'm not making this up. So if they invented tweeners, let's just go wind back about 40 years. And yes, they invented teenagers because they saw a market that was a group they could sell to. So, of course, this also coincides with cars and the birth of rock and roll, which was the, the product that was of most interest to teenagers. Mm-hmm. So having an automobile meant... Even if you bored moms and dads jalopy, right? Right. You still had freedom that you yes. really didn't have before. It, it, exactly. It, it, it allowed you to get to the other end of town, which prior to that you had a horse, if you were lucky. Or a bicycle. Yeah, if you were lucky. And mm. so it, it became something that you could get somewhere fast and get back in time for curfew, you know. It's and like, you just said the key word, you could go fast. Yeah. And not only could you go fast, but the automobile did something that really revolutionized pop culture. It took entertainment on the go. Yes, and it was the saving grace to radio, because of course in this period in the 50s, we're watching all the radio shows, which were dramas and comedies, start to move or migrate to television. Mm -hmm. And what's the radio going to do? What is their audience anymore? oh, it's the kids in the cars, or of course the kids with the transistors, but largely the kids in the cars who, whose parents don't want to hear that music. So if I drive away, I can tune to that radio station and hear these you know, evil, awful, wicked rock and roll performers. Which also did a lot of things that even go beyond the teeny bopper thing, right? Oh, it yeah. also helped break down race. You know what I'm saying? It, it exactly. helped break down prejudice and discrimination in the long run because there was a time in this country, and, and people may not realize this, but if there was a record made by a black artist, the white record companies would have somebody like Pat Boone or mm-hmm. somebody else do a cover version of, let's say, a Little Richard song. Correct, someone safe, 
who could yeah. go into more homes and sell. It's all about selling. Yeah. They were fine. They had an African-American audience, and they would sell to them, but mm -hmm. that audience was not big enough because largely they were still doing factory jobs because they weren't allowed in higher education, and so they didn't have as much money as the young, quote-unquote, white or mainstream audience. So they wanted to hit that audience, but yes, they were afraid that the African-American artists were too, quote-unquote, racy or ethnic. And Pat Boone said, oh, wop, bop, loom, bop, 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 boom. And I said, I still said, oh, wop, bop, loom, bop, bop, bam, boom. And the white kids wanted to hear, wop, bop, loom, bop, bop, bam, boom. Woo! They wanted to hear me. And, and so they, 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 they were still bringing me in their house. And they didn't want their mama to know I was in the house. So they put Pat Boone on top of the bed and they put me in the drawer. <laughs> but I was still in the same house. Wop, bop, loom, bop, 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 bop. I got a gal. Her name's Daisy. Oh, crazy. I got a gal. Her name's Daisy. I didn't want to record songs like Tutti Frutti and other songs like that that don't make a lot of sense, you know, but I, the recording director went out, thank goodness. He told me to go ahead and do it because it was going to be a hit. So I said, all right, I, I didn't believe it, but we went ahead and recorded it anyway. And, and it was a hit. It was a hit. So the radio being in the car helped change everything. It was such a game changer. And as you said, they went from being the kind of thing where you had your Groucho Marx and your Jack Bennies and, and your soap operas. Perry Mason was yeah. on the radio first, all those shows. The Shadow, Lone Ranger, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And TV happened. So yep. that opened up a whole new avenue for advertisers and people to yep. exploit teens. Yes. And TV is so interesting because Radio, everybody could listen to, and they would imagine the home that your characters were living in. Mm -hmm. But once TV showed up, for both teenagers and adults, you got to see what an American living room was supposed to look like, whether it's on The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet or whether it's on Bewitched. You could see that you're supposed to have a stereo. Uh, you're supposed to have a bar, which always amazed me when I was a kid. I thought when I grew up, I'd have to have a bar in my home. <laughs> but I don't drink hard spirits, so it was like, why would I do that? But that was what everyone saw, so it, it feeds into a funky, you know, not to get overly academic on you, but there's a great um, quote from a guy named Thorsten Veblen, mm. who was uh, checking out America back in the late 1800s, and he said, we were a culture of conspicuous consumption. We don't buy because we need, we buy to prove to other people we can buy. And that's still true today. It is, sadly. And so TV fed into that because now you could see what you were supposed to have if you were going to make yourself a mainstream, quote-unquote, proper American. Mm, very strange. Now, did you have a favorite tune from back in the days when kids were now finally teenagers and they were bopping on the radio? Was there any particular tunes from that time that you dug? Well, that's, that's a fun question because, of course... I was actually a teenager in the 70s, but in the 70s, we were reliving the 50s ah. through shows like Happy Days. Mm -hmm. So we learned more about rock and roll from that period through shows like Happy Days. Uh, and I would say that I was always more drawn to the stuff from the 60s, largely because I was very young in the 60s, and that's when I probably heard these things, and they stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. So, of course, everybody loved the Beatles, and right. I am known to be quite a Monkees fan. Right. <laughs> 
I am. That's just all there is to it. Yep. Uh, and I fought hard during my college years in the early 80s because I was still listening to the monkeys and people were you know, laughing at me because they were listening to far more fascinating mm-hmm. things. The truth is, I say I, I, I'm a fan of the two M's because I love the monkeys from the 60s, but in the 70s, um, I flipped the other side and I adored meatloaf. Don't uh. ask me why. <laughs> well, that's cool. But, the you know, book. one of the things that the advertisers figured out is that they could pick a, a, a fine, upstanding young boy and aim it right at the teens. And that was Ricky yeah. Nelson. Oh, God, yes. Exactly. Ozzie Ricky and Nelson. And, and that show is so fascinating in TV history because it began the concept of synergy where we could take something, showcase it on a program, and then sell the album. Right. And prior to that, you might have had your little orphan Annie Dakota ring. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, During yes. the Little, little Orphan product, Annie radio but show. Music they hadn't thought about doing that with. Right. So it's really, and of course that leads, that's, you make a direct line from that to Hannah Montana, for heaven's sakes, and the whole career of Miley Cyrus and Selena Gomez from Wizards of Waverly Place. Very good. Well, let's check out this track by Ricky Nelson. Yay. Fools rushing where angels fear to tread. And so I come to you, my love, my heart above my head. Oh, I see the danger there. If there's a chance for me, then I don't care. Fools rush in where wise men never go. But wise men never fall in love So how are they to know When we met I felt my life begin So open up your heart and let This fool rush in Now, what about the Bobby Soxers back in the day with Frank Sinatra? That's a different kind of thing. I mean, again, this is just pre-World War II, so that is kind of because of the cars. 
right. we're beginning to see, because of the fact that you know we don't have child labor, we're beginning to see teenagers. But the war kind of cuts that off because, of course, some 17-year-old boys or 16-year-old boys lie about their age in an era when there weren't birth certificates, right. and they go into the military. So again, they don't have a chance to play. They become men very quickly. So we really have to get through the war years before we can enjoy ourselves. Right. Um, but so what about Frank is like the cusp of that. Perry Como's got some of that starting out. Um, yeah, all those guys in the early 50s were showing signs of it. But it, it, with many things in our country and our culture, we get moving on something and a war shows up and pauses. Mm -hmm. And we have to finish the war situation and then we go back to what we were building, whether it's a infrastructure, whether it's a new inventions, whether it's anything. The wars always get in the way of, of progress. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that my grandmother, she was a Bobby Soxer. And she even went back as far as Rudy Valley when she was a young girl. Sure. She remembered people going nuts over Rudy Valley when he would come on the radio. Of course. One and part of that, we have to remind ourselves that we're talking about children of the middle class. Mm -hmm. So we don't get widespread teenagers until that's an option open to everyone, including kids in the lower income levels who don't have to work or aren't allowed to work mm -hmm. to the extent they used to. So when you think about the birth of the teenager, for example, a lot of it comes down to the teen idols. How, how important were teen idols in finding the teenager's voice? Well, I think they were very important because you had both. When I think teen idol, of course, the first thing you think of are the boys, but the girls are just as important because the girls are showing young girls how they're supposed to behave in the new society. So the, the women are as important to the girls. It's not like boys had it, even though they had pinups of girls, those weren't the same influence that they were in showing girls how to behave. That was really important. I think that's why, in a silly way, Grease is such a ridiculously popular musical on stage and in film mm -hmm. because it solidified the idea that you only had the two types of girls, the good girl and the bad girl, and one couldn't ever become the other. Well, let me ask you this question. This, this might sound weird, but why is it okay to have a pinup for the girls, but not so much a pinup for the guys. Have you noticed that? It, it seems like, for example, there was no real version of Sixteen magazine aimed at the young teen boy, per se. Boys. No, exactly. Well, partially because they felt girls are more open to admitting, you know, falling for crushes and changing their mind was the assumption. So they picked different boys. Whoever you put on the cover would be, you know, someone they fell for. Mm -hmm. Men, probably there was an attitude of I don't know, is, is putting a pinup of a girl, is that a crush or is that, you know, some odd stepping into the world of the invention of Playboy? Mm -hmm. And is that more exploitive than it is infatuation? Mm -hmm. Well, I would argue that it's a exploitive no matter what, but we'll get into that later. That is very true. That is very true. But we, we believe that a woman's interest in the boy, a girl's interest in the boys was pure and a boy's interest in a girl can't be. And that's exactly. just a stupid societal piece of nonsense. Yeah, I definitely want to when, – when we get to the 70s, we'll get back to that for sure. <laughs> so then comes Elvis. Yes. And that really blows things wide open. In exactly, a way because that, he brings sex to the party. As much as I think Ricky Nelson is a sexy guy, mm -hmm. he didn't ooze sex in right. the way that Elvis couldn't avoid oozing. And here's the thing. It's it, – it's not that Little Richard and Chuck Berry and so on and so forth didn't ooze sexuality. But you had artists like, for example, Bill Haley and the Comets and the Big Bopper that were 
you know, they were kind of old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they were. Think about it. People had children again when they're 19 and 20. So those men were already the age of the parents of the young teenage girls and boys who are watching them. So there's no way you're going to have a crush on your dad. Mm -hmm. So the black artists were mostly kind of kept away for the most part on TV from kids, yeah. kind of probably on purpose. And Of uh, course. Oh, no, they were, well, you know, the, the famous Nat King Cole's TV show where he wasn't allowed to hold hands with white female singers and he was not put on the air in the South, et cetera, et cetera. So you're not going to see that in the mainstream audience. You're not going to have access to that unless you live in an area where you could go to clubs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you had people like Buddy Holly who didn't necessarily ooze sexuality and then you had the older guard like the, the Bill Haley and the Comets and things right. like that. And then you had the black artists that weren't allowed to be seen as much. Elvis Correct. kind of changed the game because he brought everything to the surface. And at first, everybody thought, well, this is just another safe guy we can manipulate. They did, which is a kind of funny thing to think because he, well, you know, he played that, though. And, of course, part of that is true. He was a very polite man from all accounts. It's not like I knew him. Right. But all accounts from everyone was that he was a very... Um, polite, well-behaved young man who happened to get wild on stage because of his love for the music. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't harness that. They could harness who he was before he got on stage, but they couldn't change who he became when he was out there without their control. shaking hair and it coming <laughs> undone and the uh, gyrating hips that really supercharged everything and then it led to more raucous rock and roll as well which exactly. came from rhythm and blues and all that and all the various places that it came from but exactly. uh, so so elvis really changed the game and this is where we see a lot of marketing towards kids. It's a lot of marketing and the music becomes the thing children are willing to spend their money on. Mm -hmm. You know, now they're doing side jobs and soda jerk jobs and those things, not full-time factory jobs. So they do have some money and yeah. they're willing to spend it on this because their parents are buying them clothes and their parents are buying them food. They don't need, there's no snack vending machines in school. There's nothing where they can have a choice in a product except 
for this music. And 45s are pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Good Lord, they're so cheap. And again, you can hear everything for free advertised on the radio. Then you go to the record store. A lot of those record stores back in the days had the little listening booths where you could go in and hear an album before you bought it. Mm-hmm. That's a whole afternoon's entertainment, whether you buy the album or not. Right. It's a little taste, you know, and then we'll, you'll, you'll give me your money. So those became hangout places, as well as at high school, if you did, you know, after-school extracurricular activities, you were part of a group of teenagers who could do things away from your parents, things they wouldn't necessarily approve of, which mm-hmm. is particularly listening to this music. Now, we talked about radio earlier. One has to look at the programming on radio that was aimed at teens. And comic books as well. You had Archie that that kind of popped up. Boy Next Door, you know, with the freckles, that kind of a thing. Exactly. Who, by the way, if you think about it, those characters are are essentially asexual or safely Mm -hmm. not sexual to girls. Right. Trying to figure out who they are. If allowed. <laughs> if allowed, yes. And that Which became... glorified the mainstream, typical high school experience. You go to the store shop afterwards. In a crazy way, Archie and Beverly Hills 90210 are the same thing because oh, you're going to go yeah. to the Peach Pit on 90210 and hang out with your friends. It's hilarious when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we go through the 50s, and it seemed like as wild as rock and roll was getting to be, there was the big tragedy where... The Big Bopper and Richie Valens and Buddy Holly met their end, and it seemed like there was almost a concerted effort to stop Jerry Lee Lewis, and and then Elvis got drafted. So it seemed like it was bad times to be a teen as far as your idols. They were all drying up real fast. They were, but that's where TV comes in because TV can manufacture them quickly. Yeah. And we can't deny movies either because, you know, you're going to have Shirley Temple in The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, speaking of Bobby Soxers, you're going to have Sandra D bring Gidget to the screen, mm-hmm. and you're going to move out of the next step from Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland is Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Mm-hmm. And what about The Rebel Without a Cause himself, James Dean? See, now again we're getting into that you have your good teenagers and you have your teenagers who are trouble and and the adults don't understand why mm-hmm. so and, and we think of james dean of course all the time but you have to remember in that movie you've also got natalie wood mm-hmm. who's a troubled girl and we rarely have seen a troubled girl on screen in this fashion and then you got salminio who of course is representing the lgbt community at a time when nobody even recognized that they exist or wanted to recognize that they exist right so that's a really fascinating that they were allowed to make that film and focus on those teenagers and just it's fascinating a couple of crazy mixed up kids <laughs> exactly in weird <laughs> ways uh, but natalie wood is so funny too is it because we forget she was first a child star of course on miracle on 34th street and in the rare rare quality she grew into a teenager so she could do rebel without cause and of course west side story is essentially a teenage story Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then yet also grow up to do all the adult films she did. I mean, that's a crazy career for a woman. Mm-hmm. So we, we mentioned Elvis, and we mentioned the marketing and the merchandise. Like, you could buy Elvis Presley combs, and yep. Elvis oh, Presley yes. teddy bears, and so on and so <laughs> forth. So the template was, was built. And then, we'll fast forward to a little bit of time. <laughs> nineteen sixty four, the Beatles. Exactly. And to me this is where it really blows up. 
Well, many people always say when we think about decades, our decades aren't from zero years to zero years, but from the years on the five to the next year. So mm-hmm. the decade of the 60s is really 65 to 75, mm-hmm. and you know that sort of thing. So the, the Beatles define the beginning of the 60s. Mm-hmm. And when they hit, it hit big. And we could do an entire episode on any of these topics that we're kind of uh, walking through. Yes. But, so in what ways do you think that the Beatles changed things? There are I mean, a million ways that makes them fascinating. But one of the things that strikes me in this concept of teenagers mm-hmm. is they very, and I know they didn't plan this, isn't it interesting, but they stepped into the scene where they were still clean cut enough. I mean, yes, they had long hair, but of course today's kids look at that and go, how is that long? Mm-hmm. So they were just a hair. They weren't. James Dean, they weren't bad kids, they were singing music, but they were clean enough to get to enough mainstream kids who fell for them because of their art, and then stayed with them as they grew into the more hippified men that we think of, you know, moving into the 70s. So they they grabbed the teenagers and mm-hmm. carried them into the next stage, whether they knew they were going there or not. Amazing. Mainstream American kids would not have jumped onto the Rolling Stones if they hadn't had time to warm up and watch the Beatles change. Their hair get longer, their music get more pointed, that sort of thing. Go from I want to hold your hand to, you know, something more socially conscious. It was like they were the, you know, the classic, the frog in the boiling pot? Yes. Yes. They, the, you know, you got into the pot with the Beatles, and as things boiled up, you didn't leave. Mm-hmm. And literally, you may have gotten into the pot with the Beatles. <laughs> oh no, you're so right. <laughs> and it's weird because out of the Beatles and you mentioned the Stones and stuff, then we start seeing the teenage thing expand to yet another category, which we won't really get into. But they're the older teens who like look at what the younger teens have and think that that's no good anymore. Here we come. Walking down the street, we get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around, but we're too busy singing to put anybody down. Correct. So you have, for example, the Beatles are cool. Buffalo Springfield are cool, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. The Who is cool. The Kinks are cool. But the monkeys yeah. stink. They're horrible, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's partially for, you know, and again, that's that wasn't true all through the older teens. But we are very built on reputation in this country, and you never want to be found not on board with what everybody else is on board with, which is kind of a waste of time. Yeah. It, um, it, and for them, it wasn't the – it was the television exposure that confused people mm-hmm. because we didn't take television seriously. No. Then. I mean, now we call it a golden age and we're getting all these Emmys and wonderful work being done in TV. But then it was still kind of, you know, that silly box of, of nonsense where people did things in your, you know, on your screen that were childish. And it's weird. Even today, we look at the bands that were on TV and we don't give them any respect at all. Like, for example, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Paul Revere and the Raiders! In the world, still you 
A lot of kids in middle America, they were rock and roll. Yes, that's and all they were given exposure to. The other important thing about TV, and you just hit on that, forget where in America you are. Your parents might not have given you any extra money. You might not have had a job. You might not have been able to go anywhere or buy any records, but you could watch TV for free. And the so radio for free, your little transistor. Was your you know, exposure. Yeah, your little transistor as well. It was, ah. you know, yeah, wow. This is almost where the saying, ah, that's kid stuff, you know, comes into play. That <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's one dismissing set of things. Yeah. And why do we do that? I mean, in, in, a, in a similar way, we dismiss things that children like as if that's bad. When children are less um, filtered, children are much more capable of giving you a gut instinct impression on something. And, of course, we could get into another conversation about how we dismiss things that women like because women can't be taken seriously. So mm -hmm. oof, there you go. So boy is cute, like – for instance, we'll move into the 70s with Sean Cassidy. It's amazing that man grew up and became a television producer because who was going to take him seriously when all those girls liked him? But right. obviously he's a perfectly serious young man, or grown man now. Yeah. So during the 60s, we really find the invention of the teen magazine. Yes. And we're talking about things like Tiger Beat and 16 Magazine and so on and so forth. And the invention of, of the male pinup yes. in such a way that it became huge. Yes, and you know it's funny because we also have to think about the fact that the civil rights movement is moving toward, you know, into this period. Mm -hmm. We're going to have had Brown versus Board of Education in the late 50s, and so schools are going to be desegregated in some parts of the country, not all over. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start having more interconnection between teens of different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I remember deeply, of course, how popular Michael Jackson became with 
you know, the Jackson 5, mm -hmm. and I still can see in my mind when you mention Tiger Beat and 16 Magazine, I can see a cover that was asking us who wins between Donny Osmond and Michael Jackson. And, and as a child, I remember thinking, well, Michael's got more talent, but Donnie's cuter because I was supposed to like the white kid. And I don't want to put down Donnie Osmond again because just because he was a child, et cetera, et cetera, and he was on TV, the man has certainly continued with a career and he has great audiences and people still adore him. But the one can easily argue that the quality of the music he created, of course, never equaled the kind of quality Michael Jackson was able to equal when he became a solo performer. But that's kind of unfair to anybody because rarely are you going to put out a thriller or a Purple Rain or a Fleetwood Mac Rumors or something like that, or Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. There's there's certain albums that are just so huge that it, it's mind-boggling to think of their existence even. you know, How did this exactly. happen, right? So you had pinups in the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but the 60s is Mostly where... always women, always pinups of women. Yeah, but you would see things like Frankie Avalon or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, even your your music stars and stuff like that. But in the 60s was where it really ramped up to where you've got dedicated magazines that this is what they do, right? Oh, totally. And, again, that's the a little bit of the influence of television because once we saw Patty Duke's bedroom and other teenage girls' bedrooms mm -hmm. and we realized that what you did was you take these pictures and you put them on your walls. Nobody would have done that before. Your parents had painted the room. They had hung whatever if they were going to hang anything. You didn't have that ability to identify yourself in your own domain. Mm. So television helped shape that once again. It did. And, of course, as we began to make more money in America, because you know we think now people buy a home and each child gets their own bedroom. Mm-hmm. My husband grew up in a house where there were five kids and two parents. The parents slept in a fold-out couch in the living room. The three girls slept in one bedroom, and the two boys slept in another. You never had your own room in order to put up your own definition of who you were. Well, it's weird because we were talking about somebody the other day. There's a teenager we know who was complaining about how she has to watch her brothers and sisters and, <laughs> and how unfair that is. And I think back to, like the girls that were living on the farm or maybe working in a sweatshop yeah. <laughs> or whatever, the argument is now that person's getting their childhood robbed from them or their teenage years robbed from them. When in reality, you used to take care of the family. That's just the way it was, right? Oh, of course, of course. And you know, when I mean, you mentioned sweatshops, my gosh, I was talking about factories, but the, one of the biggest industrial accidents in America was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire which was in New York in 1912, I think. And it was almost all women who worked in this, you know, high um, uh, skyscraper place. I 
10 floors skyscraper back in the day. Mm-hmm. And when a fire broke out, they all died or they jumped out of the windows and they fell to the, the streets of New York below. They were all women and they were all 16 to 19 or 20 at the most. So they were teenagers. And that was their teenage life in 1912. Wow. So we see the teen magazines get even more I don't know what you want to call it but more daring like it seemed that up to a certain point you were having people that were over 18 being sold to teenage girls for example yes a lot of the pinups were uh, people over the age of 18 being sold to teenage girls for the most part but in yeah. the 70s that kind of changed because as you mentioned Michael Jackson and Donnie Osmond, that really blew the doors wide open. Where we did have some of the teens that were on TV in the 60s and 50s, they would be exploited to the teen market. But now it was it was hyper. Now yes. we're getting into like, to me, almost a, a dangerous, daring kind of thing. <laughs> where you have, there was a kid by the name of Johnny Whitaker. And the reason I mention him is, is he was on Family Affair and he was also on, I think, that Sigmund and the Sea Monster. And he put a forty-five out. And there were pictures of him with his shirt or unbuttoned and wearing these tight shorts and everything. And it was just kind of bizarre that now you're exploiting teens to teens, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you realize that that's the existence of Little Joe Cartwright on Bonanza. Exactly, exactly. I can't think of the title of it, but he did a song on, um, you know, one of the shindig shows or something, and you just watched him, and he thought, this is so wrong, because when I, you know, you knew him as a character on a show, and then they were turning him to a 50s teen, but he was yeah. supposed to be a teen from the 1850s. Yeah, and it's it's weird, because you watch him on Hullabaloo, and he's yeah. frigging and dancing and introducing Paul Revere and the Raiders running around with mm-hmm. a parrot. It's just hard to believe that that's Pa Ingalls. Yes, it's awful. It is. But now, see, he's a really smart man. I've always thought this about Michael Landon's career because he was on Bonanza forever as a teenager and he needed to grow out of that. But the smartest move in the world was no one was going to believe him in the modern world. So he grabbed onto Little House on the Prairie books and he allowed himself to be Pa Ingalls, which meant what the audience was really seeing was little Joe Cartwright having grown up and had a family, which is what they always wanted to happen to him. So it was a beautiful, the narrative crossed two different TV shows. Absolutely. So we see little kids being marketed in a way that, to me, is kind of creepy to other kids. And it's everything from making little boys look very feminine (laughs) so that the the girls will dig them a lot, you know? So they're safer. Yeah, because they're safe, right? The safer they are. For the parents. Yeah. What's the psychology behind that? (laughs) Well, there you go. I'm a historian, not a psychologist. But I do think it's, it's more connected to making these characters safe for the parents to allow into their houses. I don't know how much it's connected to the girls. The girls love them because they're all they're being provided. Mm-hmm. Until you're provided somebody else and can make choices, that's, I think that's really interesting. You, you're exposed to something, and if it's all you see, then it's all you tend to like mm-hmm. because you don't know there's something else out there. I mean, my, my silly Star Wars connection to that is when Star Wars came out and I was in high school, you had great arguments with your girlfriends over whether you wanted Luke or you wanted Han Solo. And you began to realize that the girls who were not yet ready to be sexually aware or awake or active mm-hmm. wanted Luke because he's a boy. And the girls who were ready for that wanted the man. And he was safe. Yes. 
was always a safe choice at that time. And so I think until girls get a chance to be exposed to more things, yeah, they're going to pick they're going to pick the pretty cute boy because that's all they're being offered. They want a boy, and these are what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Very good. But then you've got this other situation where if you go back to the pinups of the day, I remember, I think it was a Tiger Beat magazine. Uh, Rick Springfield had this huge career in Australia where he was a rock star, straight up and, rock star. Yeah. Best guitar player in the country. Yep. And then he comes to the United States and no one is taking him seriously. And they made a show for him on ABC. And people don't even remember this. But they started mm-hmm. marketing him to the teen audience. And yep. they had pictures of him with his pants unbuckled, mm-hmm. laying in a bed, holding a teddy bear, sometimes a rose. Yep. And this is where we see adults being marketed to kids again, but in really a skeevy way. I mean, he's he's embarrassed of this stuff now, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, see, the problem is they the marketers didn't understand the split between what was going on mm-hmm. because they could have brought him to America and just, you know, in any rock band or his own band, mm-hmm. pushed him to the older kids and the teens who wanted just good quality rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it, though, is that he came here and ended up on General Hospital, yeah. a daytime soap. Which and kind of saved his career. Seriously. Yeah, it really opened up the doors for him. It did, but it was a career mistake in that we are, I say this a lot in my lectures, Americans aren't good with renaissance men or women. Mm -hmm. We believe when we learn about you in one way first, that must be all you can do. So if we meet you as an actor, you're only only ever an actor. If we meet you as a singer, you're only ever a singer. Very few get to cross back and forth, like a Frank Sinatra, or my example is always Cher, right? You show up with Cher, she's a rocker, and when she starts to do movies, they're like, you can't act, you're a singer. Then she gets an Oscar for Moonstruck, and she decides to go back on the concert circuit, and they say, you can't do concerts, you're an actress. It's ridiculous. We have only recently grown out of that, and my example there is Neil Patrick Harris, who gets a chance to be Doogie Howser and then to do Sondheim on Broadway and then to win a Tony and come back to TV and unfortunate events. So we're finally getting to that. So in the case of Rick Springfield, that ruined him in America because everyone thought he was just a two-bit soap actor, and nobody took his music seriously unless you were smart enough to take his music serious. Right. But on the other hand, the fact that he was already in everybody's homes through General Hospital, yep. him getting one good marketable single opened opened it up for him to where you could have had the single and not had that instant bass ready for it. And, yes, that's you know, true. So in a way, it all worked out for the best. I mean, that there would have been no real Jesse's Girl probably had there not been Rick on General Hospital. That's true. I agree. I agree with you. The sad thing is I think by looking for the short-run cash, Mm -hmm. which was to do that while he had a giant audience. They lost the long-term. If he was a rocker like the Beatles, like the Rolling Mm -hmm. Stones, his music would have been considered more seriously across the following years. And I think that's a disservice to him because he is a high-end performer in terms of guitar playing. And that got lost in... He's awesome. 
He is. I, I've seen him in uh, concert a couple times. Uh, he he was in concert in Cleveland at a place called Blossom Music Center oh, when I was in college. Well. I and well. uh, halfway through the concert, the electronics, the electricity went out. Mm-hmm. It was an outdoor venue. He was able to, like, we could hear him from the stage anyway. And he basically said, look, we can do one of two things. We can cancel the concert now and uh, try to reschedule, and maybe you guys will come, and maybe you'll be busy. Or we can just keep going acoustically. And the audience, like, went into crazy applause for the acousticness, and he played another hour acoustically. And it was probably the best concert that I had seen. Wow. Yeah. And that's a performer. And that's a man who knows what he's doing and was totally comfortable without all the bells and whistles of all the fancy equipment behind him. You know, I keep, all I can do is, is basically do the best that I can do and write the best music and, and perform, you know, to the best of my ability and hopefully that still sticks. Well, you've brought <laughs> millions of fans uh, through the years, some of them, I mean, we've got some here on the front row in our audience today who have been following you for many years, some of whom have come from California and from Michigan and from Florida and from all over the country, uh, but they just came to be in the show. They didn't come yeah, to see you. Right. <laughs> Did they know I was going to be on? We told them after they got here, and they're thrilled. But they did ask that you do a song, so we'll let you do that now. Rick Springfield. Grab your bass. I can see the path you're cutting. It cost me a little piece of my heart I can see the doors you're shutting Cause they were open at the start Baby, loving you has been hard on me You're a tough little sister But you'll settle for a mister tonight But you're running out of time You better love somebody It's late, you better love somebody Don't wait, you better love somebody you're gonna push it just a little too far One night Your eyes are wild, your skin's so white You're undernourished and overfed She's got the teeth, she knows how to fight Cause when you bet I bled You got the perfect image of the perfect man You're a tough little sister, but you'll settle for a mister tonight. But you're running out of time, you better love somebody. It's late, you better love somebody. Don't wait, you better love somebody. Don't tempt you're gonna push it just a little too far. I'm only saying what I feel. You think I'm a wrong, I know. Thought I was sleeping at the wheel I thought that you were driving You better love somebody You better love somebody You better love somebody
Now there's two things I'd like to talk to you about as we wrap this up. One is what happened to the teenager? Are we still in the midst of teenagers? Are they still relevant? And the reason I ask, are they still relevant? Because it seemed like nowadays adults are in a state of arrested development (laughs) where they continue to be a teen. And it seems like they do not want to give up the things that we had when we were teens. For example, pinups on the wall to the point where we have adults having kiss rooms, monkey rooms, NASCAR rooms, the Dallas Cowboys room, the Star Trek room, you know. And it seems like we used to have rooms for people. Now we have rooms for your stuff. Yes. Oh, no, you're right. Or man caves. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's kind of bizarre to me, and it seems like we have this weird thing going on about teenagers. Like, for example, there's almost a school of thought where teenagers have zero sexuality, or are supposed to, and mm-hmm. that they're just little kids until they hit the magic age of 18. But we know it's like a well-balanced diet, right? That's not true. You have to give a kid responsibilities as things go. But it seems like kids have access to everything nowadays in a way that we never did growing up. I mean, right there on your cell phone, your smartphone. Everything is instantaneous now. Yeah. So what is up with teenagers now? And I know that we'll never know that story until years from now when we can look back and see what's good and what's bad and what's hip and what was happening. Right. You know, we we don't have the the luxury of hindsight yet to to look back and see what's going on now. But what do you think of the state of the teenager in 2017 as we record this? I think that you have made two fascinating points. One is that we have the issue – the teenagers of the 70s and 80s have become the parents of today and our culture has decided that aging is bad so that nobody wants to officially grow up um, and certainly nobody wants to age so we've got Botox and all the various plastic surgeries and all this nonsense you hear about all the time which I guess there has to be a balance in society so because the parents have maintained their status as teenagers the current teenagers have had to flip back and essentially become the parents because the teach the children I teach um, in colleges today who are 18 or 19 fascinate me in how not risky they are and I don't mean anyone should run around being risky about sex certainly but right. just they're very I don't want to glorify the crazy things some of us did in our teenagehood right but we did and we didn't have a cell phone that our parents could track us on. So in fact, I talked to a bunch of students the other day about doesn't it bother you, your parents can use find phone and figure out if you're at your girlfriend's house or your boyfriend's house. And we used to be able to say, hey mom, I'm gonna spend the night at my girlfriend's house and she would, you know, obviously if your parents called, she'd say, yeah, she's in the bathroom, I'll have to call her back in a minute. And then she'd call you at your boyfriend's house and say, call your parents and say that you, you know, you got the phone call. Yeah. Kids can't lie anymore and yet they don't seem to want to as if they're happy being more responsible and they also, of course, have better relationships, or at least the children that I teach, uh, with their parents. And whether that's through the deeper communication they get because the phone keeps them constantly in touch. And when I went to college, I called my mother once a week, and all my friends thought that I was crazy to have to do that. Some of them didn't call their parents for a couple of months until they needed a ride home from Thanksgiving vacation. Nowadays, I have 
friends whose children went off to college in other states and called them two or three times a day to talk about what they had for dinner or whether they should buy this textbook or an old used textbook or whatever they want to talk about. And I find that fascinating. So the better relationships are a beautiful thing, and maybe that keeps the children from having to be rebellious. But the parents not growing up is a little bit of a problem too, and maybe that's why they're such helicopter parents. Um, they're afraid to lose the connection they have to their kids in that time of life. While they're in their kiss rooms or their gone with the wind room. <laughs> yeah. or... It's funny. I mean, we watched kids grow up on TV, right? Because mm -hmm. Beverly Hills 90210, we dealt with a lot of serious subjects. And then, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer saved the world as a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, where, as you said, we're seeing the arrested development of the grown-up men on television who still act like children. So we've made that societally normal and responsible teenagers societally normal. It's, it's very strange where we're at right now, but I, I do see a lot of parents who freak me out. When you hear somebody who is clearly a parent and, and has responsibilities, and they use the phrase adulting. Yes. You know, Aunt, <laughs> Aunt, Aunt B never had a chance to not adult. You know what I'm saying? Correct. Yeah. They're, they're desperately <laughs> trying not to get to that stage. Yeah. By using, yeah. Isn't it funny? I know. It's like I, I'm just practicing today, but I don't do this all the time. And yet, yeah. yes, you do. <laughs> you have yeah. a mortgage. You have a job. You have a kid. <laughs> so it's strange. We've seen adults turned into teenagers, and we see adults looking at teenagers as kids, but not really maybe giving them the things they need to become adults. That's very true. That's been a big discussion always. How much yeah. do you, responsibility do you give your children? How do you, but again, you've got this, this tether to them in the phone. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've had friends who, you know, wouldn't let their kids go to clubs that I would have gone to when I was at that age mm -hmm. or wouldn't go to outdoor concerts as I was just talking about because, oh, this might happen or that might be that. It's like we don't trust them to make good decisions and yet we're the right. ones who taught them to make decisions. If we taught them to make good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, and perhaps those parents know they didn't teach their kids the, what they wanted to, or they didn't broach those subjects for some fear of, I don't know. Yeah, that is true, if they taught them. So we got to see some of the birth of the on-purpose teenager today, and where it all came from, and how it was exploited a little bit. We, we only touched the very edge of it, but it, it's strange. I, I, I look at where we are now, and I see what is aimed at little kids and what is aimed at supposedly teens. And it seems like that people are clueless, really, as far as marketing goes. Well, the problem is we've decided that the most, I mean, sex always sold. People mm. knew that in the 20s, right, with the flapper. Sex always sells. But we've allowed sex to be the only thing that sells, which yeah. is why you have yeah. their Bratz dolls instead of your regular Barbie doll. Mm -hmm. And I call the Bratz dolls actually the Sluts dolls. Yeah. Um, and that's why you have the slutty Halloween costumes for little children. Instead of being a, you know, a witch, you have to be a sexy little witch. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, why? I want. I was happy in my bewitched costume, and there was nothing sexy about her. Yeah. She was, you know, a grown up doing these cool things. So I, yeah, we've allowed that to. If it makes money, it's good, and we don't think about anything else. But it's really bizarre going back to the adulting teenager thing. We've got, we went from Aunt B. And, uh, you know, Samantha and Ma Ingalls and so on and so forth and Florida from Good Times and so on and so forth yeah. uh, to now we have MILFs and GILFs, the sexy soccer moms and yep. the people that just refuse to grow up. 
think that's a problem because at some point gravity's going to get you and <laughs> you're going to have to admit that you're older. Well, every day I have these outrageous plans of how I'm going to take over the world and everything I'm going to do today and get done and get accomplished and then I try to stand up. So that uh, <laughs> it's that's the great equalizer age, you know. Exactly. I wonder if there's going to become a time when we have adults and teenagers i wonder if there'll be a term for the arrested development people well isn't that funny because if we invented tweeners then clearly we should find a name for the people in that other section of life who have not left their teenagehood yet except here's the thing nobody would want to admit to it no one would want to admit to it and it won't happen until advertisers find them to be a special market mm -hmm. well i think they've already found a way i mean i get catalogs and pop-up ads and all these things you can collect this thing you like and buy this from the Bradford exchange for four easy payments of fifty dollars each you can have this commemorative lamp true of the thing you love good lord that's true that's true but so, again that's marketing to us in our teenage brain that wants to freeze our teenagehood by surrounding ourselves with the things that meant something when we were teenagers all the time reassuring us that we are fine adults for buying such collectible, fine-made fine products. It's an investment in the future, except as we learned with comic books, they only count if nobody else collected them, and then they're rare. If right. they're not rare, they're worth nothing. And then we have rooms full of boxes that are never open because those are collector's items. Exactly. Oh, that makes me crazy. Toys you never get to play with. Well... <laughs> I hope that this was an enjoyable discussion for our listeners, and this is a special episode of Pop in which we kind of go to the root of how we got here, to how we got to this place in pop culture, the invention of the on-purpose teenager. And I'm going to close this episode with us playing the monkey's birth of the accidental hipster. So, <laughs> How appropriate. Thank you for coming on the show today, Rosie. Oh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Ken. We will see you soon. Yay!
We want to thank you for listening to Pop today. We will be back very soon. Marty Ross and I are going to play some records. We're going to be talking so many cool things. We will see you on the Pop Facebook page. It is growing, and we are glad that you are part of it. Come join us, and we will see you on the next episode of Pop, a pop culture podcast. And that's our show. Pop is an online, nonprofit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. So, today we are joined by Roseanne Welsh, and she will be here to talk with me about the birth of the on-purpose teenager. Damn it. <laughs> Say goodnight, Dick. <laughs>